Well, aloha from Maui, and welcome to this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner, your host every Sunday, Sunday morning if you're in the Pacific, as we are, uh, Sunday afternoon if you're on the mainland of the United States, uh, Sunday evening if you're in Europe. And from there, you're going to have to do the math. It's a pleasure, as always, to be with you today. We're going to do today 21 quotations that I feel are, for me anyway, the most um, significant, the most stunning, the most provocative, uh, the most important personal and spiritual development quotations or self-help quotations that I've ever discovered. Now you might say, well, 21 quotes from how many, Michael? Um, About eight or ten years ago, maybe even more than ten years ago as I think about it, I started a quotation book. Uh, It was one of the first things I did, actually. So this may go back to the early 80s. I think my first computer was 83. And I started writing down quotable quotes from the you know, the bottom of the Celestial Seasonings tea box, and um, wherever else I happen to come across quotable quotes, not all kinds of quotations, Bartlett's had already done that. I was putting together just human potential quotations, personal and spiritual development quotations. And I did publish a book for a while. It's out of print now. And I suspect that there will be a time in the not-too-distant future when we'll print another edition or another version of it. I called it, um, well, initially I called it Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, and then it became a book called Creativity, Confidence, and Courage. And it was about 550 quotations, as I say, just in the human potential field. And then reading through that one day, I just felt inspired to go through that. And I pulled out from this book that I'd spent, now that I think about it, 15 years assembling. Um, came down, out with 21 quotes. And then I looked it through and I pondered on it and finally I hit the save button. And I really like what I've come up with, so I'm going to share those with you today. I just sort of rip through it, you know, take a couple of minutes to talk a little on each point just off the top of my head as we go through it. And, of course, if you would like a copy, I could send you the Word doc in an email or probably a PDF would be better, right? So you wouldn't have to have Microsoft Word. You could have just about any text editor. Well, um, or, or however, what is it? It's an Adobe program that shows you PDF files, right? And everybody's set up for that. Everybody's computer comes bundled with that, so that's probably the best way to go. So just send me an email again, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. If you'd like a hard copy of this, I'll mail you the file as a PDF, and you can uh, save it to your computer and print it out and play around with it. Just ask for the 21 tips, all right? They send me the uh, the 21 tips handout. 
from today's class and address that to my initials mb at the agelesswisdom.com I'll get that out to you. Uh, also, real quickly, just want to remind everybody, we have, as of uh, four or five weeks ago, set up our own social networking site. It's like Facebook, but it's for people who listen to this class, to the program Steve and I do, the Finding Yourself in Paradise premium audio series, and other students of philosophy, of mysticism and and metaphysics, basically, people who describe themselves as 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 spiritual but not religious, if you know what I mean. And uh, it's theagelesswisdom.ning.com. Ning is N-I-N-G, like Nancy I-N-G. So theagelesswisdom.ning.com will take you to that site. First time you go there, sign up. It's free. And then sign in, and you can set up your profile and, and your, your own page. It's very much like Facebook. And, uh, it, it does MP3s. You'll have your own MP3 player. You can put up your own music or spoken word programs. And you'll also find one that I've set up that is available to everybody on the so-called main page. And you can send mail. You can start discussions, you can post videos and pictures. and We're going to create a community, okay? So invite your friends, and it's sort of like, you know, if you also do Facebook, that's fine. Um, but this is like Facebook just for like-minded souls, if you know what I mean. People who love to think and love to feel loved. Loved, loving, and lovable. So I hope you can uh, join us over there. At the end of the uh, webinar here, the live version we're doing now for you podcast people, uh, I go over to the chat site uh, after I finish this program. I've been doing that for a few weeks. I'll do that again today. So You've got live chat now right in front of you. You'll see the button to control it in the upper left to, to choose chat. And you'll be able to do that if there's two or more people in there. But when this event ends, the chat room closes, and that's when we can go over to the Ning's site, if you'd like, theagelesswisdom.ning.com. All right. Well, let's uh, get to it. Here are the 21 tips and self-help quotes, the 21 most important personal and spiritual development lessons that I have ever learned. And um, you may agree with me on, on most, if not all of these, or maybe some of them. And again, if you've got a favorite quote, you can post that on the Ning site. That's, that's how this whole thing works. So the first one is a quotation. Notice how short most of these are. The first one is a quotation from Buddha, who, like Christ, never wrote anything down. It was up to the, the students, the apostles, the disciples, the devotees, or the followers of Buddha and Jesus Christ to write down 
after the fact what they remember these fellows saying. And uh, so I've got one quote from Buddha and one quote from Christ to get us to go on. And the first is, the mind is everything. What you think, you become. And it could have been either of these fellows, of course, but in this case it happens to be Buddha. Gautama Siddhartha received his enlightenment while pondering the middle way between the extremes of things. And he realized, he came to realize in the twinkling of an eye that the ancient hermeticists said the same thing before Buddha, and uh, that's that the mind is everything. All is mental. There is one mind at work in the universe, and you have access to a little piece of it. All right. And uh, so we're talking about your emotional nature and even your spiritual nature being part of the one mind. Your thinking is only a little bit of that mind because there are things that your body is able to do in coordination with the mind that you're not conscious of. All kinds of responses are happening inside your body, digesting food and fighting disease and repairing and replacing cells. And the one mind, the one life, the one thing as the ancient Egyptians used to say. And that peace or that access you have to the all that is uh, allows those responses to happen, even though you're not consciously thinking about them. But the second part of this quote, what you think you become, we now know is the law of attraction. Last week we discussed it as the Hermetic or ancient Egyptian law of correspondence. And so this is where we kick it off today with Buddha's simple statement, two sentences, the mind is everything, what you think you become. Right? And so when Christ says, and this is point number two on our list today, as you sow, so shall you reap, well, that makes perfect sense, because we have Buddha saying the same thing about 500 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. What you think you become, Christ comes along 500 years later and says, as you sow, so shall you reap. Again, the law of attraction, what, what uh, goes around comes around. Uh, you go where you look, you get what you expect. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. <laughs> you know, Newton even gets in there. The golden rule from Confucius and Moses both, uh, that we should treat others as we would like to be treated, uh, pretty much sums it up. Same thing. These two principles that what you think you become, or if you will, whatever seeds you plant, that's the crop you're going to harvest, right? Uh, you can't change the game and expect a, a, a radish seed to grow a watermelon or a watermelon seed to grow a radish. And yet, 
you can take that a little deeper and consider that if you cut open a watermelon seed, you're not going to see a tiny little watermelon in there any more than you would find a oak tree, albeit teeny tiny oak tree, inside an acorn. What you find is the potential, but not the oak tree. Those are the first two. Number three, we follow on the theme a little bit with a quotation from As a Man Thinketh by James Allen, Dreams are the Seedlings of Reality. Again, we're working this uh, garden metaphor and the idea that thoughts are seeds. In fact, in many traditions there is a phrase, seed thought, that um, thoughts then manifest. Again, what you think you become, uh, dreams are the seedlings of reality. So whatever is the potential of that thought, it gets realized when you dwell upon it, when you plant it, for example, in your fertile mind, and make sure it gets the nutrition, if you will, uh, the water, the light, the good nutrients, which is sort of like the love aspect in the dream. A dream, in order to become a reality, has to have two components and has to have the energy, which is a clear, specific vision of what you want, the seed thought, but it also needs an emotional impact. you got to care about it. You have to have faith. you got to believe in it, and that's the emotional force. So you need energy and force just like amperage and voltage in electronics. And that's the thought and the feeling part of the dream, the seedlings of reality. Point number four, Anas Nin usually is the one credited for having said this, but um, I think it may be older than that. I've been told that this may even be in the Talmud, but in any event, its wisdom is profound. Anis Nin said, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. We don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. This is the nature of personal reality. And this follows on logically to the first three points that we've made, that the mind is everything, that what you think you become, what you sow, you reap, the dreams are the seedlings of reality. So perception is reality. But it goes deeper than the psychology of believing in what you think you believe in. And it's provocative enough, it's profound enough, to keep you contemplating the nature of personal reality for your entire life. You can, (laughs) the beauty is, devote yourself to understanding yourself and have a rich, full, uh, and rewarding life. And, of course, most people never do it. They have no interest in understanding themselves. You, as a listener of this program, are a notable exception. Most people would 
would much rather spend their lives judging other people and trying to control other people when it seems so much simpler to manage yourself and know yourself. It's uh, <laughs> We're doing it backwards, right? So that's an East Nin. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And number five is Jacob Boma. He's a theosophist, small t, Rhineland mystic from the 15th or 16th century. He said, what the self describes, describes the self. I just think this is so beautiful and, again, so short. What makes something profound? Well, part of it is that it can be said so simply and so easily. And here, here it is again. What the self describes, describes the self. And I would add, especially when that person is talking about someone else, right? It's almost like, well, I used to say it takes one to know one is a high metaphysical principle. And then I found this quote, <laughs> which says it even better. Like, how would you know? that this person is so-and-so and such-and-such. And, such and, and uh, who made you such an expert, right, that you can be so good at nailing this person? And uh, people often do not understand how transparent they are and how we reveal ourselves to other, you know, aware people, the conscious people, by our descriptions of others in the world around us. It's like, who are you talking about? <laughs> or how would you know? Or, again, like the schoolyard taunt that takes one to know one. Jacob Boma, whatever the self describes, describes the self. Camus, right. the existentialist, Albert Camus, said, life is the sum of the choices we make. And now we're, we're emphasizing here again the responsibility for creating life by the way we perceive it. And also the responses, of course, most of which are unconscious. Most of the things we do, most of what we say is spoken unconsciously or with very little consciousness. We have a lot of pre-recorded scripts in our heads that pass for conversation in most cases. Every once in a while, you can get real with a spouse, a partner, a friend, maybe a parent or a child, if you have that kind of uh, real intimacy in a family that you can, you know, keep it real and be honest and, and have a, a spontaneous and, and candid conversation where you really feel vulnerable and and trusting of each other, that, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. But it's the exception rather than the rule for the vast majority of us. And to accept responsibility for the way you see life, this is what Camus is talking about, that life is not what these other people are doing to us so much as it is our response, the way we respond, that defines the nature of the relationship. So 
it's a beautiful line of acceptance for the responsibility to create your life by your view of it, but perhaps even more importantly, by the choices you make in responding to it. All right, it, Life is a two-way street, right? And so whether you feel that you've created the situation you're in or you contributed to creating it, co-creating it, which is more likely, no man is an island, or whether you think at times you're just really are a victim, it doesn't much matter if you understand Camus' line. Because in any event, you're accountable for your response. You are responsible for what you do with what's done to you, able to choose a response, responsibility. If you think of personal responsibility as your ability to choose a response, it's a nice little way of finding the freedom in that. Many people think responsibility is blame. So if I take responsibility, I accept blame. Forget blame altogether and just consider the freedom in saying, I'm the one that will decide how to look at it and how to respond. I had little or no control over what happened to me or what was done to me, but I will consciously choose my attitude and my response. Thank you very much. And I love that freedom. See, that's not self-blame. Life is the sum of the choices we make. Number seven is Einstein, who says, among many, many quotable <laughs> Einstein quotes. Which one did Michael decide on? It's not one of his better-known quotes, but I love it. It's, uh, in the middle of every difficulty lies opportunity. I sometimes describe this by saying the game is rigged, or uh, there are references in spiritual books all across the religions that all things work together for good. Everything happens for a reason. It's just that much of it is submerged or beyond our ability to recognize the cause and effect relationship. So it looks random to us. We don't we don't see the order. We don't get the bigger picture until you begin to meditate and even then you're you're getting more your view is increasingly inclusive and comprehensive. But that's the whole idea of spiritual growth, is not only are your your ethics and your values and your your priorities becoming more and more refined, but you're seeing an ever bigger picture and understanding the in, in ever more magnificent ways the oneness of all things and the harmony that leads from diversity to unity. The beautiful trinity, if you play with that. Diversity, harmony, to unity. Um, this is just the ultimate in positive thinking. Einstein says, every difficulty, every adversity, every challenge, every problem, every time your life goes south, 
every time you're hurt, every time you're frustrated, whenever you're angry with life, take a breath and say, where's the pony? You know, <laughs> you know the story. There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Where is the silver lining? Where is the blessing in disguise? Right? And consider that it's there that you might recognize it. If, if, if you get married to the idea that what appears to be negative is completely negative, then you won't even bother to look for the blessing in disguise or the silver lining, so-called. Right? So, it's, it, consider that it's always there in, in the middle of every problem. It's an opportunity, a lesson to be learned every time your life goes south. We think of life like a test in school where you get it wrong and therefore you never get it right again. It's like forevermore you got this question wrong. Well, why should you be graded down for getting wrong um, answers on your tests? It seems... Not whether it's right or wrong should be important, but did you learn? To me, I learned more from getting things wrong in life than for already knowing how to do it. That's where the learning takes place. Part of changing education is the need to begin to reinforce this and uh, encourage and motivate students by grading them on their rate of learning rather than how many they are how much they already know right that's what we do now we test them on how much you know and how much you don't know right now well what about the rate at which i'm learning shouldn't there be some value for the rate at which i'm learning new information comprehending it and applying it in uh, intelligent ways we don't have very much of that yet some good teachers are trying to bring it in. Okay. Um, so that's seven. That's Einstein. Here's number eight on my list. We're doing the 21 best self-help tips and quotable quotations of all time. This is my selection, my favorite set. Number eight is Paul Sartre, uh, an existentialist like Camus. He said, freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. If you expect your freedom to allow you to control or manage, to influence or persuade, bully or intimidate other people, you misunderstand the word freedom. Freedom, as we said a few minutes ago, is found in taking responsibility for choosing what you're going to do with the situation you're in. So Sardis is saying this in his own way. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. Stop trying to control what's already happened. Stop trying to control what keeps happening to you. First of all, if it's already happened, it's in the past. You don't have any control. If it's still happening to you, 
if you had any control over it, you probably would have exerted that control by now. And so most of us take these direct hits and just stand flat-footed in front of the problems in our lives. And rarely do we think to step aside and let the thing blow by you like a matador who doesn't really take the bull by the horns, right? You don't have to stand there and take a direct hit, but your power is not in managing what's happening to you. Your power is in the freedom to choose what you do with it. It's found in your perspective or your attitude as well as the the response you choose. And the idea is to substitute even-tempered, well-reasoned choices for the automatic, reflexive, knee-jerk response, which is behind most speech and most behavior in human beings, to make it conscious, to look before you leap, to think before you speak, to actually choose the words you're going to say, requires that you feel safe and relaxed. That's why these stress management exercises are always so important. That's the path to freedom and and responsibility and and managing. Where did we start? The mind is everything, what we think we become. Now let's look a little at the shadow side of things as we quote first Eleanor Roosevelt. And this is like quoting Einstein. How do you find one quote? She has so many that I find inspiring, but this one changed my life. Eleanor Roosevelt saying, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. If you've listened to me for a while on these podcasts or my radio programs in Los Angeles over the years, even going back to the ABC radio in the late 70s, This was a quotation that I relied on a lot. As I say, it completely changed my life. Nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. If somebody hurts you emotionally, it's only because you don't know the truth. If somebody can hurt you emotionally, you, through your confusion or lack of understanding, have empowered them to cause you that emotional trauma. You have given them the power. And the antidote, of course, would be to know yourself. But as we've said earlier today here, just a few minutes ago, most of our friends and neighbors are not interested in really understanding themselves. There's a fear, of course, that if we discover the truth of who we are, we're not going to like that person from childhood we have all this conditioning that we're bad children not that our behavior was bad but that you are bad right so it's a buy-in it's recognizing that if you respect yourself it doesn't matter who respects you or disrespects you if you love yourself that becomes the ceiling or the standard by which you give and receive love in all of your other relationships. Whatever, well, I'll say it this way. 
emotions are not done to us, but rather evoked from us. And so an emotion that somebody, quote, made you feel, unquote, says very little or nothing about them, and volumes and volumes and volumes about you. It came out of you. <laughs> you know, we understand this with physical pain. We know that if somebody, you know, hit you with a stick and caused you pain, that the pain would not be about the stick or the person that hit you, other than the fact that they caused it. The pain is coming out of your body and it reflects your condition. If that's clear enough to you with physical sensation, then just understand the parallel emotionally. That's you. All of your feelings are you. All of your dreams are you. What you love about other people and life in general reveals you. And what really upsets you and irritates you and drives you crazy about other people and life in general is you. <laughs> Take the power. That's what these people are all saying. But seize control. Thank you, Eleanor Roosevelt. That's a wonderful quotation. Guy Finley, the only thing that frightens you about any event is what you've yet to understand about yourself. Guy Finley. You hear it? Same thing again. Same thing again. Whatever frightens you, it's not about the person that's frightening you. It's not about the event so much or the circumstance or the situation. Your fear is not describing the stimulus. Your fear is, in and of itself, your personal response to the stimulus, which is rarely danger and almost always confusion. <laughs> That's what stimulates your fear. Not danger, just confusion. So, it's a great quotation. Feel the power in this. The only thing that frightens you about any event is what you've yet to understand about yourself. So again, as you understand yourself, and again, we don't just mean why you think the way you think, but really intimately, why do you feel the way you feel? Now, in this situation, about that relationship or that circumstance, you've got to bring in emotional intelligence and honor your feelings. And, of course, the language of feelings is intuition or realization. It's not logic. You can't figure out your feelings. Right? If feelings were rational, they'd be thoughts. Feelings are often irrational. <laughs> you can't figure them out. And we can see this in the genders. You know, women tend to rely on the emotions. Men like to rely on their thoughts. We've been told emotions are a weakness. We can't figure out women, generally speaking, because we don't have the emotional intelligence. We're not tuned in to the nature of intuition or realization. 
But anyway, I, I don't want to get far afield here. Guy's point is, again, take ownership. Make it about you. Make it about you. Every difficulty in life, make it about you. Those thoughts and feelings are about you. The way you behaved in that situation, it's about you. The way you're feeling right now, being told this, is about you. What you do with this information later today, tomorrow, next week, will be about you. What you want to do with the rest of your life and the anxiety and fear that we're all facing, unless we're smart enough to turn away from all media, <laughs> no news, <laughs> which is difficult to do. We've got to have a little of that. But it's it's so negative, right? It's like they lost, the, the world lost all this money. Hey, they didn't lose it. Somebody's got it. And if somebody's piled up all the money, gang, don't worry. They can't hold on to it too long. It's no good if they don't spend it. they got to spend it. And uh, progressive thinkers, people with open hearts, are going to continue to demand justice in the world. So the wealth will get redistributed. I don't know that the jobs are coming back, but... We're all going to find new things to do because that's what we are. We're life expressing itself. We're not as individual as we may appear. Quote number 11 is Paul Foster Case. Paul Foster Case was the founding member of the builders of the Adidam, or it may be pronounced Adidam, I'm not sure, Boda on Figueroa in Los Angeles. He was a uh, a member of the Order of the Golden Dawn wrote a number of important books, including the uh, True and Invisible Rosicrucian Order. And, in fact, from that book, um, Rosicrucianism and uh, Kabbalistic Alchemy comes this quotation, Paul Foster Case, what people fear is what really instructs them and so leads finally to their liberation. Right. What people fear is what really instructs them and so leads finally to their liberation. In our premium podcast series, Finding Yourself in Paradise, at FocusedPassion.com, Steve and I did a, a program recently where we were talking about following your fear. In fact, I think I quoted... My friend uh, Andrew Harvey is a great spiritual mystic and leader and one of the most impressive real deal philosophers I've ever met. And he talked about not only following your heart, the importance of following your heart, but also following your heartache. Uh, to face our fear to go to what Joseph Conrad called the heart of darkness. And that's a process, an alchemical process of redemption when you face your fear. you got to feel it to heal it, or as psychotherapists often say, the only way out is through. And so that's what Paul Foster Case is talking about here with fear instructing you. 
And besides quoting Andrew Harvey in this podcast with Steve, I, I was I found myself referring to one of the Harry Potter movies where Harry's friend Ron is told by uh, somebody that uh, to get to where he's going, he's got to go into the scary, evil forest and follow the spiders. Follow the spiders. And (laughs) Ron says, follow the spiders? Why is it always follow the spiders? Why can't it be follow the butterflies? Right? We want life to be full of rainbows and unicorns, but it's got its yin and its yang. And to face your fear is to look directly at what you do not understand, the core of which is about you. So to really face your most powerful fear is to look at what you don't understand about you, what frightens you most about yourself. And that leads us right into quote number 12, which is, forgive my immodesty, but I do quote myself once in here. And that's uh, a phrase that came to me in meditation like lightning years ago, changing me, illumining illuminating the inside of my head and changing the landscape forevermore, to borrow from Rudolf Steiner. The best parts of you are hidden where you're most afraid to look. It just spontaneously exploded into my awareness as I was meditating one day. The best parts of you, I heard in my own voice, my own voice saying, (laughs) The best parts of you are hidden where you're most afraid to look. So if I face my fear, I find my better parts, right? The unhidden part. Number 13 is Kahil Gibran. Your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. I think this is just beautiful and so profound. Your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Our hearts become fixed. Our emotional nature becomes crystallized and hardened. And in order for us to grow psychologically, intellectually, emotionally, and particularly spiritually... that rigid emotional nature or that crystallized heart has to be broken. You know, this is the whole allegory of yoga. If we could but remain flexible and stretch and remain soft and open and and vulnerable, we would have these occasional growth pains but we wouldn't have the instances of broken hearts, perhaps, that we have, or maybe not as many. Or maybe we'd handle them better and get over them sooner. I I think there are some tragedies that I'll not describe that are just so horrible that 
anyone, no matter how highly evolved, is going to experience a so-called broken heart in a situation like that. So I don't suppose that can be avoided. Um, indeed, an argument could be made that a mystic is a, a man or a woman who willingly allows their heart to be broken again and again and again. To be a, a compassionate person is to experience the suffering of others with love in your heart. It's not really an easy thing to do. It's bittersweet. It can be wonderful and, and horrific all at the same time. So broken hearts are part of life. Much of it could be avoided, I think. A lot of our emotional duress we could do more elegantly or more gracefully if we practiced a kind of yoga, if you will, hatha yoga for the heart, stay flexible. But to some extent there is going to be some crystallization and uh, you understand Gibran here where he says your pain is the breaking of the shell that has enclosed or you might say limited your understanding. So for that understanding to expand you gotta the shell's gotta be broken. And you know how that feels. Peter T. McIntyre says confidence comes not from always being right, but from not fearing to be wrong. But so nicely said, I'm not sure what I can add to that. Confidence comes from not always being right. Let me say this again. Confidence comes not from always being right, but from not fearing to be wrong. So we're back to the learning from your mistakes, sort of touching on that Einstein quote again. So isn't that good news? All you got to do is be willing to admit when you're wrong that you're wrong, that you learn something. You know, when, when we get new information and we realize something we didn't know before, it's not that what we knew before was totally wrong. In most cases, it was just incomplete. So the truth is, understanding yourself and understanding others and life in general is not a matter of leapfrogging from what you thought was true and then became false to another idea that seems to be true until it's proven false. It's, it's yeah, well, this is true enough for now, like Newtonian physics was true enough, and then... Einstein's theories of relativity sort of blew that all into a cocked hat, but it wasn't wrong. It was, you know, for objects moving slowly, large objects, Newtonian laws of motion and Newtonian physics works perfectly well. Just still fine, no problem. It's just these tiny little particles moving at uh, speeds that approach the speed of light. That's where physics tends to change. So Newton wasn't wrong. He was just incomplete. And with that kind of attitude, you can become a lot more confident. You don't need to always be right. You don't want to be a know-it-all. You want to be somebody that's always questioning, always flexible, and open to new understanding. Stop investing in the need to be right. And instead line up with your curiosity and your passion to always know more. 
It's a wonderful feeling to be able to say to somebody, I didn't know that. Really? Tell me more. Well, that's fascinating. You see? It's insecurity that causes people to sometimes behave in a conceited or arrogant fashion, you know, the the know-it-all, so to speak. Next, number 15, is Ralph Waldo Emerson. Again, I could have pulled a 10, 12, 20 quotes from Emerson. He's one of my favorites, but he gets credit, I think, for simply saying, love and you shall be loved. I really like that phrase, Emerson. Love and you shall be loved. In that order, in that order, most of us are looking for somebody else to love us so that we can then return the love. Uh Uh-uh. You can't harvest a crop and then sow the seeds. You sow the seeds and then harvest the crop. You give and then you receive. It's not the other way around. Love and you shall be loved. Right? My friend Steve Snyder, I've quoted, number 16, all love flows through your own love for you. Steve coined that when he was in his 20s and began to realize through his work at the Live and Learn Center, which he co-founded with a friend in Sherman Oaks, California, in the late 1970s, that You cannot receive love from another beyond the degree to which you're willing to love yourself or perhaps able to love yourself. But it's more than that. You also could not give love to another beyond whatever level of love you allow for yourself. So to whatever extent you wish to give or receive love, it's determined by how you feel about yourself. Again, one of the threads running through all of these quotes, don't you see? And Steve says it this way, all love flows through your own love for you. That's the determining factor. How much love are you going to allow in your life? Think of, the, think of that. How much love can you handle? All right? And why do you believe deserving has anything to do with anything? Whoever told you you had to deserve it. Be careful of that. This is anonymous, number 17. God measures a man around the heart, not the head. This reminds me of the old mystical saying, you cannot think your way to God. Um, it's a feeling, not an emotional feeling. Love can be an emotional feeling. It has a warm, fuzzy presence, and it has the broken heart that we just discussed. Spiritual love, spiritual love is very different. It's not an emotion. It is part of the mind is everything. It is a rarefied fine, refined frequency that stands above thought and emotional feeling and physical sensation. So that when you st- 
still the body and calm the emotional nature and quiet the mind, you still exist. You can reach levels of contemplation where your body is not moving. Your emotional nature has a flat affect. You're calm and safe and relaxed, though there is sort of a warmth, (laughs) a nice warm glow to it. And your mind is relatively quiet and calm and feeling safe, that we begin to experience an awareness of ourselves as awareness itself. Hard to describe or explain unless or until you've been there. The experience of listening to music is close, especially I teach my students in our private work to listen to music without lyrics, especially classical music, to practice turning off your mind and allowing the music to carry you away, to sweep you away, allow the music to have its way with you, okay? Carry me away. And you'll, with a little practice, get a sense of what it's like to be conscious and aware and alert and yet not think. It's a good practice. Music meditation. Number 18 is the Catholic mystic Akempis, Thomas Akempis. He wrote a book called The Imitation of Christ. He said, we would have much peace if we would not busy ourselves with the sayings and doings of others. Why is it that we're so concerned with what other people have to say and do? Now, this goes back 800 years. We would have much peace if we would not busy ourselves with the sayings and doings of others. Again, we want to understand other people so we can control other people. The idea of understanding yourself (laughs) so you could manage yourself hasn't occurred to us yet. It's sort of like being on the highway and feeling like you should control everybody else's car except your own. You can can just drive anywhere you want as long as you can control every other car. It's silly. It's really silly. And uh, we're just two quotes away from making that point again, but I want to go to Deepak Chopra, number 19, If you want to reach a state of bliss, then go beyond your ego and the internal dialogue. Make a decision to relinquish the need to control, the need to be approved, and the need to judge. Those are the three things the ego is doing all the time. And it's very important to be aware of them every time they come up. Deepak Chopra. He's talking about the need to control the need to be approved, and the need to judge. That's what your mind is doing 24-7, even when you attempt to apply your mind to a task or a purpose, like read this book. Here, uh, balance my checkbook. Would you help me read this bus schedule? 
we're still distracted by the ego seeking these three things. Approval, control, and judgment. Is that the order he does it in? Not that the order matters. He does control, approval, and judgment. They're always looking for more control, usually in all the wrong places. As we said before, trying to control what happens to us rather than our perception and response. Approval, constantly we need approval. We need to be told we're okay and that we're loved. By the way, happy Valentine's Day for those of you listening live. And then the need to judge. I mean, how much time do we waste deciding what we like and don't like as if it matters? As if it matters. You make a decision that you like a certain kind of food, but this food, no, I, I don't like that. I don't eat that. And you go your whole life. Not eating, you know, string beans for whatever reason. And... Uh, 20 years goes by, 30 years goes by, 40 years goes by, and then one day you have these delicious string beans and you go, oh my God, what's the matter with me? I've been under the impression I didn't like this because once I didn't, back then, a long time ago. Well, maybe you have those kinds of biases in many areas of your life. You decide you like this, but you don't like that. You like these kinds of people, but not these. Or this situation is tolerable, but this situation is absolutely intolerable, and I will not tolerate it. Okay. What, what's with the judging? What if we just gave it up? I mean, sometimes it's important. Sometimes you got to judge, right? But everything, always, constantly, 24-7, maybe not. And if you could let that go, and then the need for control... And the need for approval, you find higher consciousness, what Chopra and the Eastern teachers call bliss or nirvana. It's interesting to point out the word nirvana means to relax. Basically, it's exhaling breath, a sigh of relief, ah, letting go. <laughs> that's, that's what nirvana is. Ah. It's like there's nothing you have to hold up. You don't have to really earn a living. You are a living. There's no place to go. There's really nothing that needs to be done here. Yeah, sure, chop wood, carry water. We've got some basic daily chores that need to be done, but aside from the basics, chop wood, carry water, breathe in, breathe out, right? get a little nourishment, feed yourself. We don't have to do all of this. We don't have to do what's driving you crazy. You can pack it all up. You can completely change your lifestyle. Why not? If you've lived in the country all your life, this may be a time to go to the city. If you're in the city and you're fed up with it, this may be the time to get your little five-acre spread. Or, or maybe even one acre. Grow enough food for five families on one acre. 
have a little house. Go where it's warm. You don't have to live where it's cold. You can move. You have lots of choices, lots of opportunities. Starts with the dream. So that's number 19, and then two more, and then we'll go to your questions or your comments. This is uh, Ramana Maharshi. I keep saying this is one of my favorite quotes. These 21 are, (laughs) again, synthesized from this book I did of over 500 of my totally favorite quotes. So, Sorry for the redundance or the redundancy. Wanting to reform the world without discovering one's true self is like trying to cover the world with leather to avoid the pain of walking on stones and thorns. It's just much simpler to wear shoes. Again, the idea, you don't have to change the world so that you benefit. The idea is to change you so the world benefits. Just got to get the pony in front of the cart here, that's all. And finally, we finish with Gandhi, learn as if you would live forever, live as if you would die tomorrow. It's somewhat paradoxical, but truth often is. Because both things are true. Learn as if you would live forever. You will. People talk about what they can't take with them. Few then ask, well, what can I take with me? What you learn, you can take with you. And live as if you would die tomorrow. Tomorrow is promised to no one. In case you hadn't noticed, this life doesn't go according to your agenda. Stuff happens. <laughs> what did John Lennon say? Life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. I believe in goals. I believe in plans. But <laughs> I also know that our power is in choosing our response, not believing that um, you know we can orchestrate the whole thing. To find a place between accepting free will and destiny, I think, is important and hinted at in the Gandhi quote. It's not an argument about, is life predestined and your fate already fixed, or do we have free will? It's like, yes, both things are true. There is a loose uh, structure, an outline, or a skeleton destiny Certain things, according to the teachers of the ageless wisdom, that have to be accomplished, and maybe they will be, and maybe they won't, but we come back for certain lessons in life. All right? And yet, do we have free will to ignore this agenda that life has for us? Well, yeah, we have this free will, and we can ignore our intuition. We can refuse to align our will with our sense of capital W, divine will. Or we can do our best to align the little wills of men with the divine will as you perceive it. So, there you go. Those are my favorite 21. And, uh, again, I've got hundreds more. I'll let you guys know if and when we republish the 
creativity, confidence, and courage book, because it's those kinds of quotes, a little over 500 of them in each of those three areas. Creativity, which is fearless thinking. Confidence, which is fearless emotional feelings. And courage, which is fearlessness in behavior. To be without fear or to move in that direction of fearlessness as the spiritual warrior, not experiencing no fear but facing the fear and moving into it to redeem the fear into understanding, to save it, so-called, in all three areas. Mentally creates creativity, emotionally brings forth confidence and physically allows us the courage that we need to continue the process. So I'll let you guys know if we do uh, another edition of that and whether we do a real nice job and sell it or make it available for free as an e-book. Um, I'm not sure, but that is something I'd like to take a look at. So let's uh, look at our questions, see if you guys have any comments or questions for us. And if you're on the web, just type into the text box in front of you. And uh, if you're on the phone, press star 2. And we'll start with the text questions, first of all. Some folks checking in to say hi. Carol Postel in La Habra says, hello, Michael. Love to Doreen. Thank you, Carol. In Canoga Park, Phil Jaffe is with us again this week. He says, careful when you switch to the phones. I don't want to lose you again. Sorry, Phil. I did screw up last week. And I know what I, I I've done it twice. I know what I did. I'll, I'll just try to be more careful. Reminding you, whenever this program does end, whether I end it early by accident, <laughs> like last week when I hung up on myself, or whether we go right through the uh, guided meditation and finish, I'm going to make it a habit to go over to the chat room in our social net um, site. So we'll meet you over there. A couple of folks have been going over there recently. and So I'd like to be part of that, even if only for a few minutes. So uh, if you want to join us, again, that social net site is theagelesswisdom.ning.com. It's just like our website, only you got to put the N-I-N-G in the middle of it. So... The W's dot the ageless wisdom dot ning and like Nancy I N G dot com. The ageless wisdom dot ning dot com. Okay. And uh if you've never been there before you gotta sign in the first time. It's free of course. Just leave your name and uh, uh primary email address. Later, you can come back and do the profile and leave a picture and all of that if you want. But come on in. This is like Facebook just for us, just for people that are into mysticism and metaphysics and personal and spiritual development, listeners of this program, listeners of the premium podcast I do with Steve and Focused Passion. And uh, I'll have to give approval because we get spammed if I don't. But uh, I'll do that right at the top. So um, sign up the first time you go there and uh, give me a few minutes to give you approval. That'll be a one-time deal. 
And then any time you go there, you can sign in. There's all kinds of cool stuff. Again, a lot like Facebook, only just for members of uh, our group, you know, and friends, too. Anybody interested in personal and spiritual development is welcome. That's the way that the way that goes. So, hope to see you over there. Um, let's see, I lost my screen. Who else have I got? Bert in Honolulu says, hello, greetings. Enjoying today's class. Uh, if I may submit a favorite quote. Let's see who he's quoting. Jackie Robinson, a life is not important. Let's see. I'm missing some of this. Oh, it's a scroll bar. I see. A life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. Oh, that's very nice. That's very nice. Thanks for that, Bert. And he says best to you and Doreen. Aloha. Thank you, Bert. Philip in Los Osos is with us again this week. Hi, Philip. He says, hello, Michael. I got here late enjoying the webinar, even if I listen to them later in the week as a podcast. Um, look forward to the – I'm going to set up my screen different so I don't have to do the scroll bar. Look forward to them and even listen as I'm getting ready for my day and start out with some great material to observe in life. Thank you and aloha. This is a great way to start the day. Patricia, Patricia Vega in Los Angeles. Hello, Patricia. She says, this may be very simple, but I like the saying from Kung Fu Panda, the past is history, the future is a mystery, today is a gift, and that's why they call it the present. I've seen that attributed to uh, several different people. I'm not sure who originally said it, but it's really cute and true. Um We did a program on time that you'll find in our archives just a few weeks ago, I think, a couple of months ago, maybe. What is time? Check out our archives for that. And Patricia says, and also, happy St. Valentine's Day to you and Doreen. Thank you for that, Patricia. Let's go to the telephones and see who we have. Oh. Let's see, I see Robert has his hand up now. This is where I messed up last week, so I want me to go slow and make sure that I do it right. Hey, Robert, you're in the seminar with Michael. How are you doing? Hello, Michael. How are you today? I'm better and better, thank you. I missed the first uh, 15. Uh, can I, uh, did you, uh, could you, uh, did you contribute anything uh, by Marcus Aurelius? No, um, didn't happen to. But if you got one to share, he's he's pretty heavy. Yeah, there's the great philosopher, the great Roman philosopher King Marcus Aurelius, in his meditations in speaking about how one should approach life. Uh, he had an antidote for the roof brain chatter, and since I don't have it in front of me, I'll paraphrase. But I found it very useful in, in America. In other countries where there's death avoidance, particularly this is useful because we like to we shy away from 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 the apparent passage of this mortal aspect of our being. But uh, he said, in anything that you do, 
do it as though it were the last thing you were ever going to do. Wow. And you're when you really get into that consciousness of, you know what, I'm not going to be here in this particular mode forever, then the mind goes from 60 to zero in about a second. <laughs> very, very useful, useful tool for getting in that state where you were talking about awareness being in the presence of awareness. Yeah. And that's that's the gold mine because when awareness is sitting in the presence of itself, something interesting happens and it ultimately becomes aware of itself when there is when there when the the markers, the identifiers that you and I and everyone else counts on during life are gone. And that's that's really one of the ultimate uh, purposes of our being. But anyway, I don't want to get too long-winded. I know you got a meditation to go, but yeah, I think that the uh, one of the first things we discover. Sometimes people will say, "Well, what do you mean, discover yourself? What what is it you learn?" And well, not only why we think the way we think, but why we feel the way we feel. And it's a matter of realizing again, it's not a logical process that you. You don't meditate to be more logical so much, although often you are. It's the light that we're looking for. And so understanding our feelings, I think, as well as getting a bigger picture of the thought process and our investment in thinking that way, the real motives for it. But another thing we discover real quickly is that now is the only reality there is. Just this To discover self is to discover that like Patricia was saying, the past is a history and the future is a mystery. It's that That's all projection. And the self that exists, is yourself, myself, the one self, is right here, this little pinpoint of existence that does have rhythm, but doesn't have a timeline, doesn't move forward or back, doesn't move at all, just sits right here. Exactly. It's like it can be likened to the space of the universe itself. There is the content of the universe which is moving about, becoming things, changing, but then there is that space in which everything is happening and the space in which everything is happening isn't going anywhere. Yeah, it may be expanding, but we're not sure. Uh, from our point of view it looks like it's all expanding. So. Well, we know that we know that the we know the distance between objects is expanding because the material in the universe seems to be moving outward. Right. But that great outward into which it's moving doesn't appear to be going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. It just is. The other side of the edge that may not be an edge at all. Yeah, that's where the brain leaves us. It's obviously designed to work in time and space, and we can only go so far with the brain in trying to comprehend going beyond time and space. But, uh, again, that's that no-mind place of, of advanced contemplation. And I, you know, I, I don't talk a whole lot of, about that uh and instead rely a lot on visualization and guided narratives because I think for most of us, especially in the West, it's just a easier way to find the center, to get into that receptive brainwave state. 
Um, rather than go for contemplation and complete emptying the mind right away, let's do some, let's do a mantra. Let's uh, let's visualize a symbol. Let's uh, do a guided imagery and uh, or listen to a narrative on a tape. Um, so and and then with some practice, we can move more toward the contemplation. You know. Well, there's a lot of strong arguments that support your opinion, your your position, because the traditional Eastern style of you know meditation and contemplation uh, has its pitfalls, and there is an, an understanding here in the West that this is really a process. You're the witness to a process, and there are a lot of things that really need to be done before you can attempt to as you say, totally slow down the mind or enter a state of no mind. Uh, There's a a lot to be said for paying attention to, as uh, Arnold Mendel would say, the particular channel that awareness is working in at a particular time because it's drawing us to an awareness of the blocks that are going to prevent that no mind state in the first place. So I think you're I think you're standing on firm ground. Yeah, well, it, it certainly has worked for me, and if I can, you know, or if we can, and I encourage everybody listening to pass the word, pay it forward, encourage everybody else to quiet the mind, uh, even if it's just watching your breath a little bit. But uh, any any step in that direction is good. To to disassociate, uh, I'm sorry, to detach without dissociation is really what we're talking about, to to take that step back where you can see the bigger picture. Robert, thank you for the call. Take care, Michael. Have a wonderful, uh, wonderful day. You too. And again, it's Valentine's Day. I hope uh, this is a fun holiday for you and that uh, you enjoy it with people that you love, family and friends, partners, spouses, lovers, and we'll do our visualization exercise, and uh, then we'll call it a day again, it's almost half past, we'll do a quick little visualization exercise, and then um, I'm going to jump over to the chat, if you can join us over there, uh, when we close here for just a few minutes, at least we can get you signed in and signed up and 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 continue to grow this site. I think we've got 51, 52 people, something like that um, at this time. And we just started, and I, I really haven't invited anybody other than mentioning it here a couple of times. So uh, invite your friends to that, theagelesswisdom.ning.com. Close your eyes and relax. Get comfortable. Take a couple of slow, deep breaths, pulling in strength and power as you inhale through the nose. And as you exhale just as slowly through the nose or the mouth, feel the letting go in your body and breathe all the way out, all the way, all the way, and then slowly begin to inhale again and do that two three times and then allow your breathing to find its own natural rhythm 
place your attention on the bottom of your nose. And simply watch your breath. As you allow your body to breathe itself all by itself, direct your attention to the very bottom of your nose and watch the ebb and flow of your breathing. The in-breath and the out-breath as an allegory for the cyclic nature of all things in form, for the ebb and the flow, for the peaks and the valleys, for the expansion and the contraction, the seasons of all things. and their comings and goings. And check in with yourself to see if there's any muscular tension anywhere in your body that you can now release even further and create and sense a feeling of letting go in that area. Put your attention, for example, on the space around your ears and feel your ears droop just a little bit as you relax your scalp. That's how you feel relaxation in the scalp. Allow your ears to sag or droop a little bit. Isn't it amazing how much tension you have in your scalp and imagine as you sit balanced how every every element of your spine is in perfect alignment all the vertebrae and the discs seem to fit perfectly in the flow of, of energy up and down the spine and out to the various organs and muscles even in the most remote areas of your body the tips of your fingers and the tips of your toes are vital and alive and energized as you become more and more relaxed, feeling safe and relaxed. And then I'd like to simply suggest that you turn your attention for a moment to understanding yourself.
consider the freedom, but also the meaning, the purpose, and the power that's available when you seek to understand yourself better. And so manage yourself as a way of improving the world. That the best thing you can do for another person is to know yourself and develop yourself. Part of that development is becoming more conscious, kinder, more gentle, more passionate about justice is a precondition for real peace in the world. Knowing further that peace is a condition, is a reflection of a more primary inner peace of mind and of heart. Allow yourself to feel that peace. As if everything in your life was okay. How would it feel? How would it feel if somehow you knew that everything in your life was right on schedule? That, that you're doing it exactly right, in spite of appearances at making a mistake here and really messing this up over there. You just let that all go. What if, just pretend for me, what if you knew you're right on schedule and life is unfolding for you exactly as it should? That you're not ahead or behind. You're not off the mark. Couldn't be. Just imagine. That everything's exactly right. How would you feel? And align that sense of everything's okay, actually. Everything's quite fine. With the intention to better know yourself. So as to manage yourself. Accelerate your growth. Accept more responsibility and gain more freedom to choose how you look at and how you respond to your life and thereby have more to give. It's very simple. Instead of covering the world with leather, it's just simpler to wear shoes. In a moment... I'm going to ask you to open your eyes, 
wide awake and alert to be back in the room where you are. I'd like to suggest that you'll have a very rich and very full memory of this brief meditation and the class that preceded it. That you'll remember the importance of turning the equation around and looking deeply into yourself. Setting aside just a few moments every day, literally just a minute or two, if not more, to close your eyes, the physical eyes, that an inner eye will open and you will see more clearly the truth of who you are and what this life of yours is really about. And so, Breathe again, a nice big full breath, inhaling fully, hold as you peek, and now exhale, and open your eyes, wide awake and alert, rested and refreshed back in the room. Again, if you want a copy, I'll send you the PDF of this handout if you just shoot an email to me at mb, my initials, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. I want you to check out FocusedPassion.com. People who subscribe at $3.96 a month, that's $0.99 a week, you're really making all of this possible. You get a premium studio-quality podcast every week featuring my partner of 35 years, Steve Snyder, and me in meaningful conversation as well as guided imagery, meditation, very much like this, but studio quality, and you get two of us for less than a dollar a week. If you subscribe there, you're also making all of this free stuff possible for everybody else. And though times are tight, and even $3.96 a month, you might have to think twice about whether to do that. Maybe you're not buying designer coffee anymore at $4 a cup, but used to be able to say, well, that's less than a cup of coffee. So (laughs) if you can check out FocusedPassion.com, at least leave your first name and your primary email address so you can get access to your own free account. You'll have six complete programs to choose from, including four of those programs are accelerated learning, how to learn programs. Give them to your kids. Give them to your friends' kids. And just like the Wisdom School, those programs are not copyrighted. You can give them away for free as often as you want. Both sites have Send One to a Friend gadgets under the built-in player. So you'll find that at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the ED, it's the W.FocusedPassion.com. Subscribe at 99 cents with your ATM card, your debit card, credit card. I don't use credit cards, but I use these ATM cards. Works just fine. And um, we'll, we'll appreciate that. Not only the subscription, but forwarding the programs to your friends and paying it forward. You know, life is a relay race. As you understand, you're going to want to share this with other people. Thank you very much for being here on this Valentine's Day or listening, if the case may be, to the podcast or streaming audio from the future. Hello from your past. 
And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui. Mm-hmm.